Welcome to Brainstorm Decoding Depression, where we will dig into discussions about mood disorders. We are here to change the way we think and talk about depression in an accessible, approachable way with a leading expert in the field. No topic is off limits. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas, this is Brainstorm. The opinions expressed are our own and do not reflect those of UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT system, or the state. Hello to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Brainstorm Decoding Depression. My name is Catherine Forbes, here as always with the brains behind the program, Dr. Madhukar Trivedi, as well as our very special guest, Tom Osborne. Tom is the founder and CEO of Shamiri, a youth led organization that provides affordable, evidence-based, and personalized mental health care to young people across sub-Saharan Africa, especially Kenya, where 45% of young people struggle with mental health problems. He graduated from Harvard and at 19 was named to the Global Forbes 30 Under 30 list for social entrepreneurship. Tom, we're so thrilled to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me and excited for the conversation. So let's start off by hearing how mental health is such a pressing issue to you personally. What drew you into this work? Once again, thanks for having me. Uh, Around the world, we know that mental health problems uh, have become really prevalent and and COVID-19 has, you know, obviously um, exacerbated this issue and made it an even much more pressing need. Before that, you know, kind of what drew me to uh, thinking about health and to to working at Shamiri um, is just the experiences that I had, you know, growing up um, in Kenya. So Kenya is a very youthful population. Um, half of the population is 19 years or younger. We have a very intense um, education system um, in which so many young people find themselves competing for such few, you know, resources and opportunities. Um, and as a young person um, growing up in this very high pressure environment, you know, I found myself um, struggling with a lot of like um, emotional, behavioral, social issues. But as a young boy, I never conceptualized or understood these issues to be quote unquote mental health issues. So it wasn't until I was in, in undergrad where I started to realize that, oh, like some of these problems that I was going through, why in fact mental health problems and why in fact problems that we could intervene and do something about. Um, that it began, you know, to click. So, so that was like the moment where I started, you know, thinking and, and trying to, to dedicate, you know, my life towards uh, mental health. That's really powerful. So you noticed that there was a problem and what did you identify as the drivers of so many mental health issues? So what we have found in Kenya is that uh, mental health issues, especially depression and anxiety, are very prevalent. So some of the most recent, you know, kind of studies estimate that almost one in two um, adolescents in Kenya struggle with this kind of mental health issues. So it's, it's a very you know, prevalent issue. And what we've realized are the drivers um, are a few different things. So one, obviously, is the you know, very high pressure cooker in a school environment um, in which young people find themselves in. Second are risk factors, you know, such as uh, resources income. So Kenya being a low resource regions, a lot of kids are exposed to you know poverty which is obviously you know a non-risk factor for mental health we have discrimination you know so you have young people from certain tribes uh, or certain genders and certain ethnicities who find themselves at a higher chance of 
um, struggle with mental health issues than those who don't. So you took it upon yourself to work toward a solution. That's really inspiring. Could you tell us a little bit about your solution? Tell us what the Shamiri system is. What does the word Shamiri mean? And what is the system composed of? So Shamiri means thrive um, in Kiswahili. And so we wanted to design um, a mental health solution that could be able to come three barriers to um, help seeking. So the three things that prevent young people in Kenya from seeking help. The first is a lack of mental health resources uh, or clinicians. So for example, we have about one mental health expert for every one million people. The second is stigma that prevents people from um, getting a formal diagnosis for mental health and, and seeking help. Um, and the third is unfortunately, most of the mental health interventions are not personalized to the Kenyan context. And so we wanted to design a solution that could circumvent these three problems. So Shamiri did not, you know, this positive bend that we have. Um, so as a way of limiting stigma, you know, we adopted a more holistic human functioning approach. So we don't, for example, diagnose young people with a mental health problem or emphasize the psychopathology. We focus more on trying to promote broader human functioning, character strengths, um, um, etc. To overcome the resource limitation of clinicians, um, our model is a tiered care model where we have lay providers. Um, so these are folks who only have a high school diploma who we train um, to lead group-based mental health sessions. Um, and they are supervised by uh, the second tier of the model, um, um, which are clinical supervisors. In America, this will be the equivalent of like clinical social workers, for example. And the clinical social workers, you know, they not only train and supervise providers, but they also, you know, are able to do one-on-one, -on -one, you know, care one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy. And most importantly, they're able to track people to the few psychologists and psychiatrists, you know, kind of like who are there. Um, and finally, you know, we try to ensure that we uh, work through multicultural collaboration in the community that we are working with and ensure that our treatments and approaches are relevant within the culture um, of these communities. Thank you very much. And I think uh, your focus on Thrive is actually the key issue that really attracted us because, as you very well know, not only in Kenya, but even in the United States, young people are not coming to get rid of any deficits. They are really coming to want to figure out a way to thrive and then to launch into adulthood. And so your focus on this larger issue is wonderful. And more importantly, I think we all too often just focus on deficits. What are the problems? What are the symptoms? And not on really helping people get back to their normal selves, their full functioning, thriving selves. And so uh, it is remarkable that you have actually combined the two. And the third most important thing is the idea of getting youth involved in the, in the whole tiered system, I think sounds very attractive because that will allow your concerns about stigma to actually have a bigger impact. Because until we get people who are affected really engaged, we're not going to get rid of stigma. Now, Tom, I know Dr. Trivedi is going to want to hear about this, but tell us about how you developed this program and the research that you conducted. When we were starting to do this work in 2018, you know, obviously we wanted to overcome these barriers that I talked about. 
Um, but we wanted to do it in a research-informed and in a, in a data-driven in a way. And so the first question that we asked ourselves was, is there existing you know, literature or is there existing you know, kind of work that has been done um, that we can build upon? And we found two streams of work that really informed um, our, our model and our approach um, here at Shamiri. The first uh, was the literature on character strength interventions um, and you know, interventions that focus on holistic you know, human functioning, um, et cetera. Uh, and over the last 10 years, especially in the US and other parts of the world, there has been a lot of research that very simple, focused um, interventions like growth mindset, like gratitude, like sense of purpose and value formation can actually improve you know, uh, mental health, educational, and other health outcomes. And so the first inspiration for our work was obviously you know, um, this literature on character strengths. The, the second, um, Inspiration was obviously the work that has been done a lot in India um, and also uh, in Nigeria on task shifting to lay providers. Um, and, and through this literature, we've been able to realize that, in fact, for some of these interventions, you don't really need an expert, you don't really need a psychologist or a psychiatrist to, to deliver them. And so we thought that because these character strength interventions were so simple, were so focused on very universal human con concepts. They were, in fact, in our opinion, even much more readily delivered by lay providers because the barrier to training someone to teach people about gratitude is lower than the barrier to training them to do, for example, interpersonal, you know, personal therapy. So in 2018, we did a pilot of this. Um, so we developed the Shamiri intervention, which is a four-week they provide intervention that combines, you know, the character strength interventions of growth mindset, gratitude, um, and values. And we did a small pilot with about 51 students, um, and half of them were assigned to a control group. Um, and we found that the intervention could improve depression and anxiety symptoms. Uh, and so from this pilot, we then obviously did a larger scale um, um, randomized trial with the a bigger sample size. We had about 420 um, uh, students in that uh, um, trial and with more extended follow-up. So we followed students uh, seven months. Um, we actually stopped because of COVID and we found similar results. We found that these interventions delivered by lay providers could reduce depression and anxiety symptoms. And in fact, the effect sizes were comparable to those found in similar trials of one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy that lasts sometimes for 12 sessions and, and is quite costly and is quite expensive. And, and so for us, for us, that was like, when we, got, when we found those findings from this series of um, experiments and trials that we did, we thought that we had built this research backbone upon which we could now start focusing on thinking about dissemination, thinking about getting mind from other different stakeholders to amplify the impact of the work that you are doing beyond scientific studies. This is so incredible. It sounds very similar to the work that Dr. Trivedi is leading here with pediatric support networks and resilience training. And you both have the same passions for equipping young people with the tools for better mental health. Dr. Trivedi, will you tell us a little bit about how YAM was tested and developed and the results of that research? 
Absolutely. So as Tom is saying, we really do want to do two things. One is, yes, there is a big need for us to do something when somebody is in a huge crisis, they attempt suicide, they're in a really troubled situation, we should be doing more work. But I think where we have failed our people is early on. So YAM is Youth Aware of Mental Health. So what we have done is two kinds of things. One is gone to pediatric practices and family practices rather than only in psychiatry and psychology. That's one big intervention. But YAM itself is really trying to go into schools and not only focus on those students or kids who are identified, but the whole classroom. So Youth Aware of Mental Health is an internationally recognized program that builds resilience, helps mental health literacy, and provides guidance on help-seeking behavior. But two things. One is it actually does it not through just didactics, but through experience. So these students that we take over, what happens is we take over a whole classroom, and all the students are engaged in this. There's a lot of role play and and participation from these students so they learn this by doing it rather than just hearing about it. And what we did, this was done in Europe and had been uh, subjected to a very large randomized control trial, 11,000 students in 10 countries across Europe and published in Lancet. So what we did is brought it here and uh, made an acculturation change for the United States and set up a training academy. So what we do here is now disseminate this throughout the state of Texas. And what we are doing is bringing people in for a training program where these facilitators are very thoughtfully trained over a whole week. And then they go to their local area and identify school partners and the entire classroom gets it. And very surprising is that even in this population for the whole classroom, remember, not all of them have deficits, not all of them are struggling. And yet we are finding a reduction in depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. We just published that in Journal of Clinical Psychiatry this year. And so that is now happening across the state. And what we've also recognized is that this, while exciting, cannot be the only tool we provide these students. So we have now started developing additional programs for the second year or a third year of their high school, for example. And we just actually developed another Blue Steel program, which is also a resilience building program that we have now begun to test in schools. We have done it with some summer camps because we just developed it. And eventually our goal would be to that becomes a companion to the YAM program throughout the state. You're both doing incredible work and really engaging the community and empowering individuals to help themselves and one another, and also personalizing um, these programs to the context and culture of its recipients. So they're not working just to treat mental illness, but instead to prevent mental illness and provide people with the resources that they need to build better mental health. And remember, there is ample evidence that shows that young people, especially, but also others, but young people tend to actually seek help from their peers before they talk to their parents or Mm -hmm. adults. So we have to equip people in that age range. And that's why I was saying that I love the idea that you're getting youth involved in your program, because that is probably our best chance to stop this problem in its tracks rather than only do something when there's a crisis. 
I agree with you, and, and that actually was the philosophy of 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 the work that we were doing. You know, like trying to build a for youth and by youth, you know, um, caregiving model, right? Because just as you've said, uh, one help seeking behavior is more localized to that demographic, but also seeking help outside of your peers is to some extent, you know, stigmatized or come with without some other social, economical, cultural repercussions that most you know kind of young people. Uh, are trying to avoid. So the big question is, how can we create a culture where, you know, uh, mental health preventative issues are normalized, health working is normalized? And and the key to doing that is to embed with a, a caregiving model or a model for preventing and um, um, giving people access to therapeutic interventions within the existing systems uh, of life that people, you know, do so we call it um integration so basically well, the way we think about this is, is for any model to succeed you know it has to be integrated within the existing norms of everyday life right so if young people spend 90 percent of the time with their peers or their near peers then that is the level at which we have to you know kind of meet them at you know um uh, and so that is the inspiration you know be, behind the work that we're doing uh, and also just not doing this in, in a silo. I think often we build projects and solutions in silos and you know don't really integrate with what other people are doing. But we think about the work that we're doing as eventually funneling people to access the you know more traditional clinical and psychiatric you know kind of services because of course there is a percentage of the population that will need that form of access. But the majority will really benefit from this, you know. Um, universal character focus, you know, um, strength focus, preventative uh, and therapeutic interventions. And I think the work that we've done in Kenya and also the work that you've done in the, in the States and, and congratulations on the great clinical trials with, I think, of 11,000 people. We are just dreaming of maybe doing one with, with those numbers in the future. Uh, but I think that is just more evidence that, you know, this is a model which I think whose time has come and we should be thinking more about like scaling it as well and moving it just beyond these conversations of, of, of us either in academia or academia targets and, you know, more into, you know, how do we scale this and, you know, make it part of just the everyday lives of, of young people around the world. Absolutely. I don't think we should be planning things where we wait in the ivory towers for people to come there. I think we have to change the paradigm and go where people are in schools and pediatric practices in lay public such settings. So speaking to pediatric settings, Dr. Trevetti, tell us about the Pediatric Mood Disorder Network. So I think one of the things is that we have, again, focused so much only on psychiatrists, psychologists, and that, again, needed. And for certain patients, that is actually very ideal. But the vast majority of people are in non-psychiatry, non-psychology settings. That tells you that we have to be thinking about going to places where people are going routinely. So pediatric practices, at least in the United States, is one place where all students, all kids, teenagers especially, at least go once a year or even more. That is why what we have done is really trained through our training academy, again, a whole range of pediatric practices to be able to routinely, universally screen for depression, anxiety, substance use. When they screen positive, then develop uh, 
clinical decision support tools so that these pediatricians are actually treating these conditions in their settings and only referring them to specialists when that treatment that they are delivering is not working because that then normalizes it like what we do for asthma, like what we do for infections, like what we do for uh, GI problems. Their treatment starts in their primary care setting and then only when that treatment doesn't work that people get referred to the specialist, that'll actually reduce the kind of workflow problems that everybody complains about, that there are not enough psychiatrists and psychologists, because we have not real, we have done a mismatch of where treatment should happen. So we are very excited about the Pediatric Mood Disorders Network, where outcomes are actually outstripping what you see in psychiatry settings, because we are doing it early, we're doing it routinely, and we are monitoring, so that that really changes the paradigm in a lot of these practices. And to boot, I have to say, the pediatricians actually now feel so much more satisfaction because they don't feel like they are floating without any support. Well, yeah, and I think that's um, at a high level resonates um, with the model we're doing here in Kenya, and I think other people are doing in other parts of the world, where I think the routine is 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 the key, right? You know, how do we make this path like? you know, routine every day, you know, kind of like practice because all, as you say, that leads to, you know, Ali uh, dealing, as dealing Ali with these issues, prevention, better outcomes, etc. Yeah, so really, really exciting. And, and I think, you know, at a high level, you know, we are, we are all kind of tapping into the same ideas and, and it's just really good to see in different parts of the world, different culture, etc. And maybe these are called to action to viewers in other parts of the world, you know, that, you know, this is, is, is a model that is worth trying to replicate in other contexts as well. Now, Tom, this is a question that we're now asking all of our guests. What do you think is the biggest misunderstanding about mental health in general? And that might be a really loaded question, so feel free to take it any direction that you'd like. But whatever you think is the biggest misunderstanding that you want to address to listeners. What we have realized in Kenya, the reason why mental health is stigmatized is because how we've conceptualized mental health rather than mental health in itself. So let me give you an example. In my tribe um, in Kenya, in our vernacular, and just in our tribe, we don't have a word for depression. We don't have um, a direct translational equivalent for depression. And so if I am then diagnosed with depression, I am diagnosed with something which is alien to me. So obviously, you know, I am going to to stigmatize that. And if I also think about the context of this, you know, um, label of depression, um, I am made aware of its history, you know. So the first time we really start diagnosing people with depression is during colonial Kenya. And people get diagnosed with depression and anxiety tend to be taken to asylums, right? So obviously I don't want to be diagnosed with depression. So I'm going to stigmatize depression personally and in other people who get. But what we realize is if you actually, you know, ask people the constituent time that uh, uh, things trouble sleeping, lack of pleasure, um, etc., things that people go through, um, these are things which are part of their daily lives. These are things which they already have help seeking avenues from. 
These are things that they're not stigmatizing. And so for me, I think the biggest understanding, at least in our context, how are you guys dealing with mental health in Kenya? It must be highly stigmatized. And I'm like, yes, if we are diagnosing people with depression and anxiety and recommending that we tech them, uh, we lock them up in a psychiatric, you know, what? No one wants to do that. You know, but if you're focusing on what it means to actually be depressed on, you know, lack of pleasure, on trouble sleeping, on too much thought and too much worry. These are very universal things that people in Kenya go through and already have, you know, social, spiritual, physical ways that they try to get help for these issues. That's incredible. There's So there's a lot of history and stigmatization there, and it's incredible work that you're doing to combat that. And the work that you're doing in the community is so impactful. Dr. Betty, do you want to add? I, to that? I think that, that is, that's a very good way of contextualizing. And even in the U.S., I, the way I see stigma is like it's a dark room. And so what we have to do is provide information. I think that rather than just depend on labels, I think if we engage people to understand what it is and have solutions, then that is what reduces stigma. Tom, I'm so happy that you joined us today to discuss the Shamiri Institute and the incredible work that you're doing. Can you let our listeners know if you have a platform and where they can read about the rest of your work? Great. Yes. So thanks so much for having me. And um, we have a website. It's www.shamiri.institute. Um, we also on Twitter, um, at Shamiri Team, and also on Instagram, um, Shamiri Team as well. Um, so people can find us on this platform, but the main one is our website, www.shamiri.institute. And Shamiri is S-H-A-M-I-R-I. We're looking forward to following along with all of your work, Tom, and thank you so much for your valuable insight. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for joining. We look forward to seeing your work proceed and also maybe some point we can collaborate to do something bigger in the U.S. world. That's it for this episode of Brainstorm Decoding Depression with your host from the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Be sure to follow us on social media at UTSW underscore CDRC so you don't miss our episode announcements. If you have suggestions for topics or questions you'd like answered, we have an email address just for this podcast, decodingdepressionpodcast at utsouthwestern.edu. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.